0: Hello and welcome to Two Girls in a Pod. I'm Sharon. I'm Christy. Hope all of you are doing well. We ended up taking last week off because we had some friends over and just kind of enjoyed our little time off and now we're back. Very excited to be back. Yeah. And as always, you know, Christy and I have our little conversations and, you know, one day we're talking and you made a really interesting point. You said growing up, you had never hurt a mental illness talk a little bit about that
1: no i hadn't and i i only knew like i knew different people that apparently had mental illness but i did not realize that it wasn't something that i had any frame of reference so there was no recognizing that maybe somebody i knew that i i didn't understand why they were the way they were if it was just They seemed quirky or they seemed uptight or they seemed you know and sometimes though i found out later sometimes that those things were their mental illness playing out but because i had no idea what mental illness looked like i did not know because and sometimes yeah you just people got a label by the way that they acted but i didn't understand it was something that they were struggling with because of a mental illness
0: Well, and I think that's true. I think what we'll do is we'll sometimes label people like, oh my God, that person is so rude because they didn't talk, not understanding that they may have really bad social anxiety. So they're not going to talk because to talk would be tremendously hard for them. But people will tend to make these value judgments on people and particularly around mental illness because I think it is one of those things that growing up, I kind of knew what it meant to be sad or that because our school had... Our counselor wasn't just our guidance counselor, she was also a counselor. So, you know, we could go talk to her. So, shout out to Sherry for that. She was there really to talk and to listen. She was the first person I talked to. And I was there like, oh, this is kind of cool.
1: And I attended a really big school. We had a guidance counselor, but it wasn't anything beyond that. The only thing that I had heard as far as counseling would have been something that happened within the church, usually. Prior to somebody getting married or something like that, they would do some kind of couples thing to, I guess, prepare for that or whatever. But that was the only time I ever heard any kind of reference to any kind of counseling like that. I didn't even have a good understanding of what a guidance counselor did until I went in there and I just, I found out it was about all about education. I did think that maybe counselors were there, had something to do with teen pregnancies and things like that, maybe dealing with stuff like that. I had no concept of what mental health was about. So being able to identify that in someone, I had no, like I said, frame of reference for that. So sometimes I had this idea that maybe this person was this way or another because they were so uptight or something like that. Not realizing that they were really struggling with either you know a depression or like you say some kind of anxiety especially with anxiety because sometimes people would come across as uptight and you know it's just not having an idea of what they're going through
0: well i think what's interesting too is that you did not even realize that you had anxiety right
1: (laughs) so you especially can't identify it within yourself if you do not have any idea what that looks like you just know what you know so you grow up in a system and you're just dealing with what's in front of you and it's not there you don't have any idea that there is maybe something that could help
0: well and i think that's true and i think that oftentimes what happens is people when they are experiencing those it becomes such a norm that you didn't realize it was abnormal
1: Right, you're just dealing within the dysfunction. You don't realize that there's actually a name for something that you're dealing with or that, and that there are ways to better handle and cope with things because you don't even understand because you're in it, you're so in the situation.
0: Well, and I think the other thing that people don't understand too, or maybe they do, I don't know, but oftentimes, you know, when, and we'll still just talk about children for a minute, they'll develop a coping mechanism or a coping skill, okay? And it works really well for whatever that situation is but then what happens is they want to use that coping skill works well there so they want to use it in everything but that becomes part of that disorder so if they're using a coping skill so if they've been abused in any way say they might shut off and they might shrink they'll shrink in size even or do whatever they do and it works it kind of keeps them safe well that what happens though is they get into society And as they grow up and stuff, they're still using that shrinking. And then it's creating anxiety now because of how other people are reacting and responding to it. Well, because, too, you never learn to have a voice. Absolutely. And I think that's one of the big things is not understanding how much if we take a a person and start in childhood. It can happen any time. But if you in childhood, if you start taking that voice away that starts to create all of these things on the back in the background about how they view the world, how they see themselves in the world mm-hmm. and not understanding that that eventually develops into something else. Yeah.
1: Well, like I say, you're trying to function within the dysfunction and you don't have any idea about how you don't have any of those coping skills. You know, if you don't have a concept of where to even go for help because you don't even know you need help.
0: And I know even like, you know, after your, your dad passed away, I know that it was just such a hard time. And then I got the meningitis. And I don't think even for you, you realized how overwhelming that became. It was just so much in such a quick time. And that's why I always tell people, you know, when it comes to mental illness or poverty, we're all only a circumstance away from it. and so if we have that concept of, I'm a circumstance away from mental illness, or I'm a circumstance away from poverty, then maybe that will teach us to have more empathy and to also look at things differently and not be as judgmental of those things when we realize that we're not that far removed from that kind of situation.
1: Well, yeah, and I think that people don't even realize that something can develop out of those kinds of events, and sometimes you need that help. You're right, I mean, after my dad passed away, I just became really angry, but I was, it wasn't on such a conscious level. I didn't even understand that I was so lost in that grief that I wasn't doing things how I would normally do them. I didn't realize the impact was expanding beyond what I even knew. I knew that I was sad. I knew I was heartbroken, but It was impacting me in ways, too, that even like in my job or things like that, where that I didn't even realize there were things I was missing. I wasn't catching like I normally would. And I think that people don't even realize that they're so lost in that grief. They don't even realize how much it's impacting every part of their life.
0: And, you know, when I do grief and loss, I've done a bit of it in my career understanding that grief and loss is a process and it's not about stopping the grief process. It's not about the person being sad, but we're looking at when grief and loss goes into a depression. Yeah. That's where it's a little bit different because when you're in grief, you can kind of move in and out of it. You kind of, you know, you go to work, you do your stuff, and then you might have moments in your job where maybe something triggers that and you'll feel that sadness, but then you kind of get out of it and you kind of continue on. But what happens is when you go into from grief and loss into depression, which you did, right? that's what made it harder for you was that you went into that depressive thing. And this is something that, you know, one of the things is, is in, in the years I've done this and in the time that we have talked about depression, we talk about the sad, we talk about not wanting to do things, our lack of interest, blah, blah, blah. But I'm telling you right now, one of the things that I have seen in my practice in 22 years is anger. And we do not talk about that anger, which is a symptom. So when people see people angry, they do not realize they'll say, well, that person's angry. So they might dismiss the depression of it. But of course, you're angry. And I don't know, do you feel internal anger? For everybody, I think it's a little bit different. Yeah,
1: I mean, I did feel angry. And it was, I mean, I knew on a conscious level, it didn't even make sense. But for some reason, I felt like I couldn't
0: control it. Exactly. And I think that's what it is. When you're in grief, you kind of morph in and you morph out. And, you know, so people expect that, but they don't understand My say somebody who loses somebody, well, geez, it's been five months and they're still sitting in their house, not doing anything. Instead of realizing they may have gone into a depression, it almost becomes that judgment thing of, okay, buckle up buttercup. Come on now. Let's not understanding that they may have morphed into something else, but that judgment comes in.
1: Well, yeah. And well, when you see those people doing stuff out of the norm for them too, but that's the thing. It's like I say, when you get into that depression and you're so in that anger, it's like you, you're not doing good decision making, but you feel like you're out of control with it. And it's just, so you can see that with people sometimes and they'll make, you know, major decisions about their lives. And from the outside, I think people do not understand a lot of time it's the depression that's creating that, that people make those kind of changes.
0: Well, I think it's the depression, I think, in grief and loss. You know, grief and loss, we always talk about don't make a major decision in at least the first year of your grief and loss, because sometimes you make it thinking it's going to make you feel better.
1: Yes, because you're just always seeking that
0: something to make you feel better. To make you feel alive and whole. Yeah. And... You go make those decisions. Well, the thing with that is, is when you're out of your grief, you're there like, holy crap, why did I do this? Why am I driving that new sports car? I didn't even want a sports car or whatever that is, because that happens often. But we don't talk about we don't feel comfortable with grief and we don't feel comfortable with mental health, with depression and things like that in people. It makes people uncomfortable. And maybe that's why even with you, you didn't know very much about it growing up because it makes people uncomfortable. And particularly because as time goes on, we're talking more and more about mental health. But I think even when we're talking about mental health, you know, we have the TikTokers and no disrespect to TikTokers, but you know, we have people getting on TikTok or social media and they're acting like they know about mental health and they're giving out advice and they're doing this. And then when I'm having to deal with them in my office and I'm they're like, what are you talking about? Well, you know this and they're like that no. So there's all this misinformation too. So it's how do we have those really real conversations about mental health? Cause we have more and more children who have mental health issues today. And it kind of freaks people out. And they're like, well, how can a kid have a problem? And I don't know. Crap it's, happens, I guess.
1: <laughs> I think it's so much harder for people to identify because like it's something that goes on internally and you can see when somebody's hurt or or if it's a physical type of thing or that. So I think it's harder to identify sometimes because it's something that's going on in the mind and you're you not able to see it in the same way. So like growing up, I thought that mental illness had to do with people that had, I'm not really sure the term to use, but like people that had disabilities were the people that, were mental, that that was the problem. It wasn't like people like you or I that just go about their day or whatever like that, that you would, because you can't see that.
0: Mental illness is, it's internal. I think that's really a key thing too, because, you know, we will tend to have empathy for the person with the cast on or that, you know, we'll open the door, we'll do all those things, we'll show that extra kindness. But you're right, when we see those people who act quirky or whatever, we tend to Make of, sometimes people say, well, geez, that person's weird or that. So we don't extend the same kindness understanding that that sometimes those are just the symptoms or that's how it plays out. So it is a little bit different, mm-hmm. you know, and I think that people expect a lot from people with mental illness or they expect for people to just be okay because it makes them uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. A broken arm doesn't make somebody uncomfortable. Right. But somebody talking to themselves or somebody having a meltdown or somebody being quirky or those things, it creates a different feel in the person. It, it It's offsetting for them.
1: The only concept I knew growing up, yes, definitely, person talking to themselves, definitely. Oh, And the only term that I knew was, well, they're just crazy. That's the only way I knew it. I didn't have any idea
0: that... That had a real name.
1: <laughs> yeah. Or that there were different forms of mental illness that look differently, but are still,
0: it's a mental illness. And I think that's what's interesting is that, you know, and I don't know, maybe, I think it was un- it was unfortunate in a way because growing up, our school experienced suicide. And so maybe that's what made it a little bit different to, I think we were aware that that person, if they were healthy, would not have done this. You know what I mean? That there had to be more to it. And so I think for me growing up, it it was such a different experience, even though it was even before, you know, a little before you, but, you know, generationally too. And, you know, culturally, you just don't talk about that kind of stuff. They're crazy. Those are crazy because we don't talk about Mm that kind of thing, but not understanding that they weren't crazy by choice. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: And I always think we're big Golden Girl fans, but I always think that Golden Girls did an amazing job. You know, they were out in the 80s but the few episodes they had on mental illness. But we also have these certain things, and I remember one mental illness, Sophia not wanting to go to the therapist, they were gonna go to therapist, she goes, because they always blame the mother. And that is so common, you know, because people think of that Freudian thing of, oh, it's always the mother's fault. So people even became leery of that, of therapy for that very reason. Oh yeah, I'm not gonna tell my kid to go to therapy because they're gonna blame me if you're the mom. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So you're going to discourage that. Mm-hmm. But those little things, whether they start out as a joke or Freud, whatever he was doing, it became one of those things that also made people want to put mental illness at an arm's length so not to talk about it. Yeah. Because if I did, was I the cause of it or whatever? You know, I mean, as time goes on, we're learning more and more and more. And, you know, I know there are those people out there who say psychology ain't a hard science. But you know what? We're doing some hard work out there. and We're doing work that, you know, we're understanding the brain more. So brain work to me is just really big in my practice because I'm very cognitive behavioral therapist because I understand now that unless I can help rewire the brain, I'm not going to change the behavior, which is going to not going to change. So it's that whole entire thing. So we're learning more and more. So in the defense of older generations or whatever, they just didn't know.
1: No, and there was such a misconception unless it was the severity of this person needed to be institutionalized or something that they 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 didn't have any concept of what well,
0: you that know it was really, really like and it was really interesting because I was having a conversation with my client and she said that the little child started having a huge meltdown outbreak and just crazy behavior by stand their standards and that and her mom. You know what? I never believed in exorcisms until now, because for so long, people truly have believed that it was somehow demonic when we looked at those certain disorders. So even that was this misconception. So, geez, if you were ever feeling down, you didn't want to say anything. If you thought you were going to have to be, you know, some exorcism, was going to happen for you? Mm hmm. You know what I'm saying? Or casting out demons. We call them exorcism. You all ca- call them casting out
1: demons. Right. Well, and who would want to believe that? I mean, just talk about adding to the mental illness. Who would want to believe that they were possessed?
0: So, Well, but once again, I think it was because people didn't have an understanding. So if you were looking at it from a religious thing and you saw people behaving this way, then yeah, the natural thing would be, oh my God, that person is possessed by something. mm mm-hmm. Even with another client had a situation and you know he said when i looked into his eyes he goes i saw, saw the demons the devils i said what you saw was mental illness because mental illness can look scary but he has such an amazing amount of empathy for it because of his he understands his own mental illness so he has the empathy for it but even like with that you want to have a description for these odd behaviors that are outside of the character even for him he has his own But this is even out, this is like one step removed from his mental illness. So when he's looking at that, there has to be a definition. And once again, because we don't see mental illness, I think people will put that other name of, oh my God, it must be demonic. So even for you, something that looked like mental, that wasn't mental illness growing up, they would just say they were gonna cast out demons or they needed the demons casted out, wouldn't you agree? Mm -hmm. Did you ever have to see that? Right, yeah. I actually did talk about that for a minute because I think that's kind of always fascinating.
1: Well, <laughs> it was kind of very actually traumatic. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I just remember them holding this person down, and I, were you,
0: you know, how old were you? when the, more or less, uh,
1: I don't. I was probably like thirteen or something like that. Okay. And using that as a fear factor kind of thing, they, I really felt like they did that. Too. Like this was happening and you were to show reverence and that if you did not, that those spirits could jump on you. And in fact, when this was happening and I was watching all this, I remember somebody approaching a friend and I and saying, you know, you need to be reverent. And because I think I had whispered something to her. She said, this person came and they were like, you need to be uh, reverent or something like this can attack you. And so I remember thinking, you know, it was a scary thing to watch to begin with or hear. It was, yeah, very loud. <laughs> and so it was a scary thing. But I feel like, you know, it had a huge impact on my memory too, because I remember just the anguish of this person and also being told that. So it was, it was a
0: scary thing for me. And you know, chances are the person had a mental illness.
1: Yeah, quite possibly. <laughs>
0: Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, I mean, I can't imagine that. And once again, it's something you don't see and when you don't understand it, you know, historically, you know, in the churches and the religions or different faiths, that would be the thing is to figure out how to get rid of it. And can you imagine already being in a state where there's confusion and stuff and then you have all these people coming around you? And I, I just don't think that how you know, it's like when I'm working with kids, you know, if I'm having a kid escalate and The school's telling me, well, they just continue to escalate. And I'm saying, well, okay, what did y'all do? And, you know, when you have six giant people standing around a little child, of course, now you've heightened everything. You're using force and power. And, of course, then the kid looks even more out of control. Well, they are more out of control because they're afraid. And if they're anxious, you've now just taken their anxiety from a 10 to a 30. (laughs) And their thing becomes that fight or flight. Well, and you you factor
1: in, you know, even a person who's not dealing with something like that, you try to restrain a person and that's just going to, I would think, make them escalate, especially if they're already having some kind of, I don't know, psychosis going on or something, you know, and that's the way it was with that situation because they were physically restraining this person and there was just,
0: you know, screaming
1: and all of that. And so it was frightening.
0: I was working and uh Tim and I laugh about this when we worked in the school together, because a little girl, elementary, I get called to go down there and I go down there and she has kicked the superintendent between the legs and the principal, both males. And they're hurting, not Tim. He was smart enough to run, (laughs) to, to get out of her way. But once again, they thought because they were males and they had authority, that mattered to her. And in that situation, she was just trying to get out. Hers was flight, it was flight. So she did. She finally took off, right? Anyway, I'm there and, and they're there like, I'm not going to engage with her. I'm not, I'm not going to be there I'm like, sweetie, you need to calm down. Well, she could do that. She would have already done it. Right. It's a matter of being holding that space and waiting. And, and then we were able to calm her down and stuff. But oftentimes people get in more trouble because they escalate more, but sometimes the, it's the other people who are creating more of the situation that's causing the escalation.
1: And I think if we had a better idea of what mental illness is and what it looks like, and there are many different things, like, you know, I had never been around anybody that has like Tourette's or something like that. Here in the community, We, I have been around that since then. It, yeah, it makes people uncomfortable and they look and they're like, what is going on? But understand it, you can have a little more compassion, I feel like, if you can have a better idea of what's happening with that person. I know when I was younger, if I had ever heard somebody doing that, I'm gonna be like, what? Cast out the demons. (laughs) Yeah. There's really something wrong with that person, but I wouldn't have identified it as a mental health issue, I guess.
0: You know, we went out one night with our neighbor lover. She says, hey, can I invite somebody else? We're like, sure. The more the merrier. So as soon as we get in the van and we're driving on, I'm there like, whoa. And I don't say anything. I'm just there, like, okay, maybe, uh, you know, whatever. So, and then the more we drive, the more I'm thinking, hmm, this is interesting. So anyway, we get there. Well, now the thing is, is number one, she was bipolar. She had now gone into a manic. She was in mania, and Christy and June and our other and my cousin, they they really couldn't. They didn't understand what was going on because that, that was just. But then she started to have hallucinations and delusions in the thing. So anyway, long story short, we had to leave the bar with me carrying her out because things didn't go well. (laughs) But part of it, it was her mental illness. And I was able to identify that she was in a mental, she was in a manic state. So we get back in the van and we're driving and I look over at Christy and I go, sweetie, what you thinking? And your response was,
1: I had never witnessed that before. So I said, you know, I haven't been able to hear myself think for the last, I don't know how many hours. (laughs) I have no idea what's going on. I don't understand this. I had never witnessed that. And just the conversation that she was having, I couldn't even replicate that to explain how that sounded. I just know that she would be talking and right in the in the middle of the sentence, it would be a whole nother conversation. And all of it pieced together so seamlessly, I did not even
0: understand what she was saying. So she had some fragmented speech. But it was kind of a neat experience. Not a neat in that, but it helped you to see mental illness too. On It was not a thing of being mean or rude to her. No. Anything like that. You know, I would just talk to her occasionally just to keep her calm. She did find that as soon as she wasn't escalated anymore, she was fine. I mean, she was still in a manic state. She was still (laughs) having some other stuff going on, but it was an experience. And and even for June, they hadn't seen that before. Mm -mm. So to be able to see that and understand that this was just another diagnosis in mental illness. And since we've been together and you were. You know, you've been involved with the practice and you you take care of the clients as they come in. You've witnessed schizophrenia, which made you sad.
1: Yeah. The person that would come to see you, she was very paranoid. And I would just see that look of fear in her eyes all the time. And it just made me so sad for her because I couldn't imagine living that way all the time. And she did. She just looked like that. She was just horrified. I couldn't imagine hearing the, the things that were going on in her mind and living with that and trying to function normally.
0: And being a parent. Yeah. She was a parent. And with all of that, kudos to her, man. It's been a lot. You know, you you've got to see PTSD. You got to see a whole bunch of different stuff. And I think it's helped you to have, well, you have definitely have a better understanding of mental illness now. Mm -hmm. That's what happens when you marry a therapist.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I think that's a huge piece of it. But it's, you know, it's sad because I think, like I say, that people can have more compassion if they had a better concept of what these people are going through dealing with that.
0: We were in uh, Alabama. We were at a a restaurant. It's kind of like a country buffet or that. They call it, it's Ryan's? I think so. Oh my goodness, and there was a line of people. Oh lordy, line of people, and we're waiting. And I look up and I'm watching the cashier, and I can see it coming on. She's starting to go into a panic attack. And part of it is that she's overwhelmed. People are There's multiple people talking at her. She's got a long line. Everything's just kind to steamroll with her. You know, but people aren't seeing that. All they're seeing is, hurry up and give me my, come on, I, can't you hurry up? And, and so that's not helping. Right. So the customers are not helping. Neither was management,
1: I feel like, because they kept coming over there to her and they're talking to her and people are flooding in the door. And you can tell her it anxiety's building.
0: And it's building and it's building. And I look over at Christine and I says, you know, I'm on vacation. I says, but I'm going to go talk to this lady. So I walk up to the front and I told the manager, because the manager's coming back out to talk, I said, look, I said, she's in a panic attack. And the manager goes, what? And I said, she's in a panic attack. I said, the customer's talking and all. It's it's going to make it escalate really bad. And I said, would you like me to help her? The manager goes, well, if you can, please. So I took her to the side and she was already getting to that state of almost hyperventilating the palpitation of the hearts, you know, everything and started to feel like she's going to have that heart attack. And and so I just was there. I kind of, you know, I, I walked her through that, got her to where she was calm enough. But I told the manager, I said, she gonna have to send her home. She's not going to be able to go right back up there. I said, because the customers are not going to understand it. And I was talking to the manager and said, how did you identify? I said, because I'm watching her. And I said, I do this for a living. I said, but I'm watching her. And I said, the more the people are, because once again, like you said, we don't see mental illness. Now, had she had a cast on her arm and she was going slower because of the cast, people would have been more empathetic to that. Or we would hope. Yeah. But there was no empathy. It was... Hurry up now. Come on. You're going too slow. It it was just that constant thing. You know what I mean? But that's that thing that you say. We don't see it. I mean, I saw it because I just, that's what I work with. If I didn't, I probably wouldn't, maybe I wouldn't have seen that. You know what I mean? But I think the thing is, is once again, we don't see it. We will see people get slower. In her case, the more they did that with her, the less she could do. She was making mistakes. Kind of like you said, when you were in that grief and loss, but yours had gone to depression, you were making mistakes. You were being angry, being able to identify that something shifted with you. You're not an angry person. Mm -hmm. You're really not. Occasionally, road rage, but she's gotten so much better about that.
1: (laughs) I've worked through a lot of that.
0: (laughs) (laughs) You were angry. And that was my first indication that she was no longer in grief and loss. In my defense, I was still dealing with meningitis, so... My brain was not functioning. So this was going on now three or four, five months or so because I knew something was wrong, but I couldn't identify it right away. But as soon as I did, I thought, wait a minute. And I even talked, I said, I think you're depressed. And of course, the first thing is, no, I'm not. Now she was angry because I'm talking to her about this. But when I told her, I said, I think you just need to go see somebody. Get on a med. You did not fight it. You didn't sit there and say, no, because I think at that point you realized something was different. Yeah. I was just struggling a lot. So employers sometimes don't understand it. They're, they're hard on their employees still. You know, I have a client who's, uh, she is kind of on the autism spectrum. So she hears messages very different. So at her new job, Well, she came to me because of that. She couldn't understand those little nuances. So she was missing things. So we worked through that. And she, you know, her next review, she got above average. And even her bosses are like, well, that was way more than I thought you were going to do. But, you know, we just kept working on it. She was so determined to do it as well. She goes to her new job, new manager, and he's talking to her. And she takes him very concretely what he's saying. So he says something, but now she's so much better. She goes you know, my brain just doesn't work like yours. (laughs) He goes, well, what do you mean? And she was telling him, my brain is not neurotypical. And he was really surprised because he just thought she was odd or that she was rude or that she wasn't listening because when she would respond, it wasn't to what he really was expecting. But educating him on that and letting him know, I'm not being rude. And then she told him, Please tell me exactly what it is you want me to do. And I will do that. But before that, once again, even in her other job, people just thought she was rude or odd or not listening. So she was getting all of those labels and it was none of those things. And people didn't bother to stop. But you know, when she came in and I'm talking to her and they're like, hmm, you know that you're non-neurotypical, right? And she goes, what does that mean? I said, you're kind of on the autism spectrum, (laughs) And as we talk, she goes, oh, and the light goes on. She goes, oh, this makes sense why in life I've had these kind of things. But once again, it's this labeling and all of this stuff that happens that makes us, because we don't understand it, because we don't take the time to understand it. So I guess this episode is really about, it's not just about mental health awareness. It's about the fact that we have to sometimes admit or we have to you know, how much of the stuff that we listen to is the social stuff that's not even the true stuff and how we're gonna educate ourselves and know more about it. Because I think in today's society, it would be very odd for any of my listeners or anybody to sit there and say that they do not know somebody who has a mental illness.
1: They may not know they have a mental illness.
0: But also, and hopefully for the people listening, if you don't know that, looking at people differently Maybe it'll be helpful because maybe when you, you know, the next time you're there and you see somebody being a certain way, instead of going to that place of judgment and, oh my goodness, that person's rude or, wow, they're rude. Look, at they won't even talk. Oh, they think they're too good. There's so many things that I hear, you know, these verbiage that maybe the awareness becomes to have compassion for people, regardless if they have the mental illness, they're shy, if what the introverted, whatever that is. For us to take a moment to realize that, or maybe they're just having a bad day, but how do we have an awareness to the fact that when somebody is acting or behaving a certain way that we don't have to take on the job of putting a value judgment on that and labeling that person? Because everybody struggles in some way, shape, or form, whether it's a mental illness or just stuff happens.
1: And and realizing you may not be aware, it's like of what's going on with that person. I know that even within family or things like that, like there are some people that have, I don't know what you call that when they don't want to leave the house or that.
0: Agoraphobia.
1: Yeah. So, I mean, there can be situations like that. I know in my family, there's a family member that would hardly ever leave the house. That was a misconception of mine that that person just wanted nothing to do with us or, you know, that they had some kind of ill feelings toward us or whatever, because they wouldn't participate in family things or that kind of stuff. So you ha- you can just have such a misconception about what's going on with people and not realizing that they're dealing with something like that.
0: Well, and I think the other thing is, is that even in the, well, talking about families is sometimes when that person may be struggling with some mental thing, Oftentimes, you know, if they believe in the family system that, you know, you don't talk about that stuff or it doesn't exist or whatever, or it's never been talked about, that you can have those sadnesses and that. I think oftentimes you'll see those people will go to things like drugs and alcohol, even sex and gambling, anything that's going to create a stimulus to them to make them feel better for that short period of time. So, you know, I always tell people, you know, we often have what's called dual diagnosis, and that's when we have a mental illness with uh an addiction because, you know, oftentimes the addiction does not come first. The mental illness comes first. The addiction becomes that coping mechanism, which then becomes the addiction. It's one of those things too, is because we're not having those conversations. So hopefully, you know, if you have children, helping them to be kind, teaching them that just because somebody's acting a certain way doesn't mean that that person is bad. And so. I mean, sometimes they are, you know, sometimes people are jerks, plain and simple, but At least understanding that even if they're a jerk, we don't have to engage with it or do whatever with them. But that, I think, becomes the real thing is how do we have that compassion, show that empathy and do those things that are important, too? And for you, you know, Christy, to to sit there and realize, you know what? I didn't know. I didn't know what that was. I didn't know it existed. And even having that conversation, you know, that day and saying, you know, how many other people have no concept of, you know, because they don't talk about it. Once again, it can be cultural. It can be religious. It could be just that people are afraid of it. There's a whole bunch of reasons I think people don't talk about it. Because sometimes people think if they talk about it then, or, you know, heaven forbid, you know, anybody knows, you know, Cousin Johnny is crazy. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Those kind of things, you kind of just, hide them away, you know, cause you don't want to be associated with it and stuff like that.
1: And I know that you've even talked about how sometimes there's a misconception with people of different cultures and stuff, like how passionate they may be when they talk about something. And sometimes it's misconstrued as they have some kind of mental illness or whatever like that, but it's really just the, maybe their passion or those kinds of things that they get kind of escalated. And so yeah. it looks different.
0: Hispanic women. Oftentimes will be misdiagnosed as histrionic because when, if they're in grief and loss of sorrow, or they're having a strong emotion, they will be very loud. They can, they emote because they emote and it goes away. So oftentimes if they're emoting that in front of a mental health professional, they, a mental health professional may call them histrionic. They're over-exaggerating, but for them, it's the way to emote they don't believe that you have to hide your sadness and all of that. If, if you're grieving, you grieve. If you're, But it can look very different. Or they can look, had one where the gentleman was happy. Well, he was upset, but he was upset at the loss of his child. But he was happy because the child came to visit him after he had passed. Well, they think that he's now having hallucinations. And he was a gentleman from Mexico. And he's explaining to me, and I'm there like, Oh, I understand now. So, you know, but it was like, no, he's not having a hallucination. This is part of the cultural thing that the son came to visit him. That's a good thing. It's not like he's seen him all the time. It's it's hard to explain, but it's part of the culture. So it was like, oh, okay. So sometimes those things can be misconstrued as a mental illness as well. And sometimes they're not. It's just how how people respond and react to certain things. You have some cultures where... Bad things happen and they have no expression. So they're, they're like, oh, wow, they're in denial. Or they're, No, it's just how each one learns within their culture to deal with things too, and particularly around mental illness or around grief and loss, whatever that is. So, you know, it's one of those things of, I guess, it's not really an awareness. This is more of a thing of thinking back for the listeners. What did you really know about mental illness? And when you think back, even to your time in school, the people that you may have been around and said, oh, that's what that was. And how sometimes um, they're being treated poorly because people don't understand it. Oftentimes in schools, they might pick on somebody or, or they might do something. But sometimes it's because they know that person's different. And because they don't understand it, it makes them nervous. And sometimes when people are nervous, they do stupid things. You know what I mean? So sometimes it's how do we educate? How do we do those kind of things to make it better for them? to help them pass that. Because I know for you, it's, I mean, you've had a lot of education now on mental illness.
1: Yeah, so I have a very different outlook about things like that. And that's why I think it's important to get a better understanding. I think that everybody should have a better understanding of what that looks like, because a lot of times you just, you don't realize that that's what somebody's going through. And maybe it's somebody that you interact with all the time but you just do not understand where they're coming from.
0: And, you know, I think the other thing that's really big is, you know, I know that some people don't agree with LBGTQ+, and that's okay. But I always tell people, be careful, be aware of what you say and stuff. Because, you know, if you're saying stuff like, oh, God doesn't love that person, God can't love that person or whatever, and you're talking in a room or around somebody who is already trying to navigate that and they hear that, That only compounds things. That's what I mean. Having your belief system is important. And I say, everybody, have your belief system, have your political views, have all of those things. But be careful. Look at your audience sometimes when you're talking because sometimes people are talking and they're talking in a group, even in a family system. You know, if you have seven of your family members around, you may be talking about this, not understanding that maybe their child's struggling with that or whatever that is. And that only compounds those things be kind. It is not that hard. It is not that hard to stop and to think we have a nanosecond before our mouth opens. And a nanosecond is all our brain needs in order to make a different response. When you're out and about and you see stuff like that, you know, we do. And that's when Christy got to see the first person (laughs) that had that more Tourette syndrome. (laughs) Yeah. But she knew right away, she goes, oh, wait, that's because how the person was blurting out stuff and it didn't make sense. So the more educated you can become on these things, the more compassion. But I don't think one should be, have to educate themselves to be compassionate for other people. I think we can be compassionate without the education, but if you can't, then educate yourself, learn new things.
1: Yeah, because I think that a lot of times people end up taking things personally and not understanding that it's not something that someone's doing may not be directed at them. It's their coping mechanism for what they're dealing with.
0: You know, even as a therapist, one of the things I always tell my clients if you come in to my office and we're meeting, and for whatever reason on the day you come and say, you know, I just don't like you. I think you suck as a therapist. You know, I don't like the way you dress. I want somebody else. My ego should never be involved in that. And I will always tell them, you know what? Then my job is to help you find somebody who's going to fit for you. It's not about ego. It's not about taking things personally. When people are mentally ill, they're not trying to hurt your feelings. Trust me, they're just trying to navigate the world. Just like we all are, we are all trying to navigate the world. And sometimes in our navigation, we might be rude or hateful and not meaning to be. So it's having that same respect and courtesy for other people as well. Yeah. So, like I said, I guess the topic of today is sometimes we don't know things (laughs) (laughs) and we have to learn things. Sometimes we make judgments on others when we don't know enough. So, that's one of the things we have to do is, like I said, talk, communicate, communicate, communicate is always our theme.
1: Kindness and compassion, all those important things.
0: Absolutely. So hopefully you walk away today with some more valuable information or at least, you know, you had an hour where you just had to kill some time or something. And you said, hey, might as well do this. As always, we are so, so, so grateful for all of our listeners. So thank you so much. And we will be back next week. Talk to you all later. Hope you have a great week. Bye. Bye.